colonialism is not a thinking machine, nor a body endowed with reasoning faculties. It is violence in its natural state, and it will only yield when confronted with greater violence. The Black Rapport Radio Show was conceived to teach African people worldwide about ourselves and issues that are important to us. We believe it is our responsibility to school our people as well as people that support us, about us. We speak on our own behalf, unapologetically. Now we're going to take you on an experience through how we see the world, through the minds of our hosts and important guests. Stay tuned. When they so-called abolished slavery, that's when they came up with this prison industrial complex. The United States has more people incarcerated than anywhere else in the world. Black people become serious about the revolutionary struggle that they are caught up in, whether they recognize it or not. When they begin to go down and knock off people who are oppressing them and begin to render these people impotent, that's when the revolutionary struggle unfolds. Not until. You understand what I'm saying? So that means that it's not just about you taking care of your child, it's about you taking care of these children. You are listening to another edition of Black Report Radio with the People's Minister of Information, JR. Our honored guest is the legendary Miss Pamela Folkstress, originally of the Coup, also known in the club scene, and recently known to be the final and last DJ of the legendary Prince. Miss Pam the Fostress, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for coming on the Block Report. It's all good. I'm glad to be here. Right on. First thing I wanted to ask you, how did you get into DJing and when? I got into DJing in 1984. I'm sure my age. But uh, my best friend back then, her boyfriend was in a DJ crew called Imperial Sounds. And they were a Filipino group from Davis City. And he wanted to teach a female how to DJ. My best friend, she didn't want to DJ, but I wanted to. So I wanted to be the first female DJ of the West Coast because Salt and Pepper was already out, you know, and Spinderella was the first DJ from the East Coast. I want to be the first DJ from the, from the West Coast. And so I took upon taking on that challenge. So he showed me how to be a DJ from, you know, from the beginning. So 1984. What made you take your skills to the level where you were able to compete in competitions? Because the first time I heard of you was with the cool, but the first time I ever saw you was at a DJ competition. Well, what happened was back in the day when there was DJ battles, DJ battles didn't consist of just DJs one-on-one. It consisted of the sound, the light, the music, so I was in a whole era of the Filipino crew. The Filipino crew was the ones that really had, you know, the sounds, the lights, the they had they went over and above. So he wanted to teach female how to DJ. So what happened was I was at Manor Music back in the day, this is when Cubert mixed Master Mike. I was DJing with DJ Rolo, which was my emotion's brother. I mean, I went I've I've gone so back so far back that people really don't understand where it really originated from. So what happened was that he wanted to teach a female how to DJ. So when they had battles, they had smoke machines, they had lighting, they had sound. So what happened was Imperial Sounds were from San Mateo, California. 
And when they came on to do a battle, and it was that Manor Music and David City. This is when Cuba was coming up, Mr. Mike, Rolo, DJ Vine Motion, everything. So what happened was that I came on as a surprise scratchy, It's Time. So It's Time was one of my songs that I would scratch to kind of do in the battle to make it different from what they were really doing. So that was the plus that they had in addition for me. So that's how it became. I had different names. I was DJ Desire, DJ Fire. And then when I got with the coup in 1994, they called me Pam the Functress. How'd you get with the coup? Where'd you meet Boots? Uh, um, I, I met Boots. I was at, we called this thing. They had a, a yearly thing called, it was at the Duffy Hotel, and it was called the Gavin Music Awards. So I was DJing for different groups. I've been through hella groups, but nobody was as serious as I was. I was very serious about my music. I wasn't into anything else but just a DJing. So what happened is Boots saw me DJing for someone else, and, and this was at the Duffy Hotel. It was called the Gavin Music Awards. So Boots had saw me DJing. He was like, hey, you know, we're a DJ. I'm a group. We're signed with so-and-so, and I want to know if you can come in and do some scratches. I've heard this before. So people used to say, oh, yeah, you're bad, you're good, you're this, blah, blah, blah. But Boots was different. Boots was calling and calling and calling and calling. So he was very serious. He was like, I was like, wow, this guy is really serious because I've heard this before. Oh, yeah, you're good, we're going to call you. Never got the call. But Boots was different. Boots were calling, 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 calling. So I finally answered his call. He was like, yeah, we have this, you know, we're, with this group out of Oakland, was signed with a Wild Picture Records. I want you to come in and do some scratches on my first album. I was like, okay. He said, I'm going to pay you this much money. And when he told me how much it was, I was like, oh, my God, for real? So I went into the studio, did some scratches. Then he said to me after that, he said, we, we're going to go on a promo tour. I was like, for real? He was like, we want you to be our DJ for the promo tour. He said, we're going to, go to, 30, we're going to do 33 shows in 45 days. I was like, oh, my God, for real? So that's how I got with the coup. Boots was one of those persons that was very persistent. He was political-type rapper. I could DJ for anybody, but I can't DJ for too short saying bitch, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I DJ for Boots because he was a political rapper. He respected women and respected me at the same time. So that's how I became with the coup. How long were you with the Cool? Because I know you went through different orientations when you got with the Cool. You guys had E-Rock, then E-Rock dropped off, and it was you and Booze. Right. And I know that you do a few dates with the Cool, but now the Cool is silky, is is filling in a spot. So, I mean, how long were you with the Cool? Do Are you still with the Cool? And how would you describe uh, the era when you were rolling with the Cool type? Okay, when I was with the Cool, it was 1994. It was me, Boots, and E-Rock. We did Kill by Landlord and Genocide and Juice. At that point, E-Rock, who was a family man, because Boots and I were basically single at that point, E-Rock was a family man. So he decided that, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I got to take care of my family. He became a longshoreman, so he left the group. So me and Boots said, okay, well, me and you will continue. So we, we did Steal This Album. From after Steal This Album, Boots decided he wanted to do a live band. So when the live band came up, came along, it became, after Steal This Album, it became party music. 
Party music is where we became to become a live band. So it was a DJ and a band. From there, it went to after we started doing a live band, we started bringing, we had, we had Latoya London as a singer. She was one of our first singers. I was on tour with her. Then we became, we got Silky. Silky became the main forefront after Latoya London. So we started touring and doing things with Silky. And after, I think, Pick a Bigger Weapon is when I left the group. The music was taking a different direction. As artists or as a DJ, myself was taking a different direction. The music with the coup was taking a different direction. I wasn't feeling the direction the coup was going. And it became to the point where they were going on tour. And I, I have a business. I'm a business owner. So I have a catering business restaurant. So I was telling Boots, I can't leave my restaurant to go on tour if it's not going to pay me in a sense. So what happened was that we made an agreement that, Pam, if we do local shows, you do all local shows, anything out of state, they'll do what they have to do because I'm a business owner. So at that point, all the local shows I was supposed to do. Then it got to the point where I don't know what happened, but at the same time, local shows became like, okay, you forgot about Pam. And I, I understand there was one instance that I saw a friend of mine who was a diehard Koo fan said, Pam, are you going to do this show on New Year's Eve? I said, what are you talking about? And when I heard about that, it was the Erica Badu show, New Year's Eve, three years ago at the Fox Theater or the Den or whatever you want to call it. So I approached Boots and I said, hey, man, you know, what's going on? I hear, I hear that, you know, you got a show going on, what's happening? We're supposed to do all local shows. So after that, I don't know what happened. And I just at that point, I just pretty much focused on paying the functions. So I no longer am with the coup. They're taking a different direction. I've taken a different direction. And we both move our separate ways, but we're still cool. You understand what I'm saying? So it's, there's no animosity. There's no hate. There's no love loss. They said, we're taking a different direction. I have created myself as Pamela Functress to create a whole different atmosphere. I have a lot of fans out there who love me. They love boots. But I've taken myself and created something different as Pamela Functress. Well, let's talk a little bit about your DJ. When I seen you at the DJ competition, you did something where you were scratching with your t- chest and took your bra <laughs> from under your shirt and swirled your bra around while you was, you know, doing your thing and you killed it and took the championship, I believe, two years in a row. Am I right? Well, what happened was that when I first understood that, Pam, you're a DJ, you're going to be in the battle. I was thinking, oh, I'm not a battle DJ. I'm just an average DJ who's trying to make it happen. So I sat in my garage for like a month. I said, Pam, what can you do? To You're going to New York. New York is known for their, their talent, their DJing, their skills, and everything. I'm thinking, okay, I'm from the West Coast. This is when the East Coast and West Coast was beefing. So I'm like, okay, what can I do different that will kind of bring something different for me? So I said, I've listened to Lady Rage record. She said, let me loosen up my bra strap and um, let me hit you with this raw rap. I said, Wow. I said, ooh, let me loosen my bra strap. So I started practicing, let me loosen my bra strap, and it became my it became my momentum. You know what I'm saying? So when I did that, I was like, let me do something different that nobody else has done. As a female DJ, you've never seen that before. 
No one ever in their right mind has thought about putting their breasts on the turntable. Right. So that became my whole my whole little signature. When you, signature. When you put pan, when you put breasts on the turntable, you're like, oh, Pam Function did that first. You're right. You know what I'm saying? So I had to do something different in order to do that. So I was in a Zulu battle in New York. There was a female DJ called Lazy K, and she's bad. She's good. I've never heard of her. But she came in there. She did her thing. So I came in there and did my thing. I wasn't excited about my set compared to hers. So I had to come with something different. And Jay Rue, the damager, and DJ Premier were the, were the judges. So that's what made me say, okay, let me do something different that would kind of distract from what the female DJ was doing because she had skills. And I I don't consider myself a battle DJ. Everybody's saying, damn, you can do this. No, I, battle DJs are different. I consider myself a party rocker. When you want your party going, I'm the one. I'm not a battle DJ. I don't sit in my room and scratch and do all that. I consider myself a party rocker who can play for white, black, young, old, 65, 70-year-old people and get the dance floor going. I consider myself that. So that's why I call myself a turntable queen. I do, do not consider myself a battle DJ. Even though some people put me in the category, I don't feel that because I'm not, I don't sit in my room and just scratch. I've learned from Qbert. I've learned from different other DJs. Polly Paul was the one I first learned from. He was from San Mateo. He was a Filipino. This is before Qbert. Qbert came along. I've been to Qbert's house. He showed me how to do certain things, but it wasn't that serious to me. You know what I'm saying? And I consider myself a woman of color who is coming out doing certain things. I'm not a Spinderella. I don't consider myself a Spinderella. Coco Chanel, I don't I consider myself a Coco Chanel. There's only one female DJ besides myself that was with two guys. And that was called Kings of Swing, Coco Chanel. She's a bad sister. But I I used to worry about everybody else. At this point, I said, Pam, you are who you are. So create your own platform. So that's where I'm at this, at this time and age. I can't worry about everyone else. I'm my own person. I created who I am, and I've moved on from the coup. I've moved on from everything else. I've got on radio. I've done a lot of big things, and I'm proud of where I'm at right now. Well, tell us, like, we were talking a little bit about the coup, but moving on from the coup, I know that you guys was funked out, and I know that the coup is now taking more of a rock orientation, but when you guys started as being funked out, I know that you were also doing some stuff with one of the major radio stations in the area where I hear you in the mix on some old-school R&B type stuff, and you kill it at the clubs. I catch you at the club at least three or four times a year. I know you do some club. I know you one of the legendary DJs, so you booked all the time. But I'm just saying how much I run into you. And so, what is the difference between that era of Pam the Funkstress that we were introduced to you as with the cool and the club Pam the Funkstress in particular? Then we'll get into the what you was doing with Prince. But I want to talk about the club era and what you're doing like right now, somewhat. How is that different? And how is party rocking different from touring and being part of a hip-hop group? Well, the difference is when you're touring with the hip-hop group, you're only put in so much of a category. And I had so much to show besides I wanted to show outside that category. I wanted to not be known as Pam Foster from the coup, and this is what you do. I wanted to show that I had different skills and different music genres that I could really produce. 
So I called myself the female my emotion. My emotion was number one man out here in the Bay Area. And I, I'm one of the ones that are not scared to compete against anyone. Yeah, you may beat me, but when I go out and step on the turntables, I'm giving 120%. So you got to respect my skills at that point. So what happened was that the coup had me in a certain genre. So when I stepped out that genre, I wanted people to respect and understand I do more than just this genre. You can call me for a party. You're not going to expect to hear the same thing. I can go old school. I can do, you know, hip-hop. I can do everything else. I got an opportunity to be on the radio, which is KBLX 102.9. When I got that opportunity to be on the radio, that brought my a whole different skill set out of me. When I say skill set out of me, I've been doing this for a long time. So it wasn't like I didn't know how to do it. It just brought it out to the public and hear it. And that was called an old school mixing, showing how to rock parties, how to mix. Radio was, is different from being a club DJ. I found that out because I'm a club DJ who came into radio. I'm not a radio DJ who came into club. So it's a whole different genre, whole different, whole different aspect of the whole thing. So I had to learn how to be a radio DJ. A radio DJ is programmed. You are to play these songs. These, you have a list of songs. You have to play these songs. I went outside that genre, which made me different from everyone else. Not only made me different, but I was a woman, and I was a woman of color. Because when you think about it, how many women of color DJs do you hear on the radio? I'll wait. <laughs> Right, my point exactly. There are no women of color who are in the radio. A lot of the women DJs right now, they're white, they're house, they're EDM, they're techno. So to have a sister come in and do what I was doing, I took everybody by surprise. They weren't ready for that. You understand what I'm saying? And it was great to feel the love that people were giving me, like, oh, my God, I was playing stuff on the radio because I, I love music. I'm covering a musical family. The Hawkins is part of my family. You know what I'm saying? So I come from a family of music, and I've been raised around music. And all my life, I've always known to have good music. And so when I come out, I come out playing stuff that I heard in high school. People haven't heard in a long time. I used to have people call me. And say, Pam, you are killing it on the radio right now. You are playing stuff that just brought me back that you don't hear. It wasn't commercial radio. I went outside the lines and I got in trouble for it hmm. because I was a club DJ. It wasn't the radio format DJ that they expected to have, but they still kept me and they kept me on for three years. So I had to learn how to be a radio DJ. I had no idea what the difference was from radio DJ to be in the club, DJ. Club, I can go and rock, rock parties. Everybody will call me. Okay, I want you at 12 o'clock. I want you to get the party cracker for till the night ends. I don't want to do that all the time. Sometimes I have other options. Let me be the opener because I have so much more to offer than being a, a 12 o'clock DJ. You know what I'm saying? There's so much other music out here that we're not listening, we don't hear, that I can bring to the table, and a lot of people love that. And when I started doing that, becoming an open DJ, because I was like, I'll be an open DJ. Let that person close. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't bother me because I know 
my musical talent and my musical format will get people. I don't have to play nothing new to get the party cracking. I can play all 90s and still have the party rocking. Right. So that's the difference between me and someone else. That's what's up. That's what's up. Well, I know that you DJ Prince's final party, but before we get to that, yes. how did you meet Prince? Where did you meet Prince, and how did you feel meeting Prince? Well, what happened was that a friend of mine was saying, Pam, I got a party I want you to do on Sunday. I just DJ Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was exhausted. I wanted Sunday to take off. They were like, Pam, we got a party going on. Are you available to spend on Sunday? I was like, yeah, I'm available, but, you know, I, I didn't take it serious because I could I could even say yes or no, right? So at that point, this person kept calling me saying, Pam, can you do Sunday? And he just kept calling me, calling me, and I was like, dude, what's up? He was like, I'll have the promoter to call you. The promoter called me and said, hey, what's up, Pam? You know, Prince is looking for a female DJ. He was looking specifically for a female DJ. My name came up first. When I found out it was Prince, all of a sudden, I wasn't tired no more. <laughs> I was like, ooh. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm available. So what happened was that I did the party. When was this? I, this was February 28th at 1015 Folsom. In what year? The promo- Last year, 2016. So I did the party. I did the F party. When Prince walked in the building, he walked over to me, and he liked what I was doing. He gave me a pound. When we pounded each other's hands, I kept doing what I'm doing. Three days later, Prince called and said, I'm doing a surprise show at Oracle. I want you to do my after party. This is March 4th, 2016. He called my job looking for me because apparently the promoter who had me for that party didn't want to give my number up. So Prince's people had Google searched me and actually called my job looking for me and said, I want to do a last-minute show March 4th at the Oracle Arena. I want you to do my after-party at Great American Music Hall. When I did the party at Great American Music Hall, me and Prince had no idea of each other. He's a small man with a big with a big band. I'm a big girl <laughs> that you look at me and you go, okay, what's she going to do? I, I talk with my hands. Prince and I had a connection that night when he came out, he did a one-man show on a keyboard. I came out, and he, he said, turn table clean. You can scratch if you want to. And I started scratching. And he looked up like, what the, f-, you know, what the hell is this right here? This girl's got talent. So we connected on a musical level. After that show, three days later, he asked me to go on tour with him. He flew me to New York. He said, Pam, what I need from you, he says, I want people to dance. He said, my, his whole thing, whole thing was to have people dance. He would go and do his show, piano microphone tour. I would sleep. I would wake up, get to the hotel. I was in charge of all his after parties. So we're talking 12 midnight to 5 a.m. in the morning. And he told me specifically, when I walk in the door at 2 o'clock, I want to see people dancing. And that's what I did. Because the first thing Prince would say, he's like, how you guys think of the DJ? They were like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I can't hear you. What do you think of the DJ? It was so important for Prince to know the music, people dancing. 
So when I would play, he loved Chaka Khan. He loved Ohio players. So I would make sure I have all those things on the dance floor when he would rise. And for him, we just had a musical connection. I can't explain it. He was a little man that put out something that was so tremendous. I was someone you look at and go, okay, what's she going to do? But I would, when you see me on the turntables, I'm putting out big things. So we had this whole musical connection that no one can ever figure out. And that's what Prince and I connected at. It got to the point where Prince would sing to me. He called me TQ, turntable queen. He sang to me. So he saw something in me that no one else saw. Prince has been known to pick up talent in the Bay Area. He loved the Bay Area. All the way from Sausalito when he first recorded his first album when he was 19 years old. So he saw talent, Rosie Gaines, Apollonia, Vanity. He saw talent in the Bay Area that no one ever knew. Prince was a big Bay Area fan. And when I got on stage with Prince, it was such a, I can't even explain the feeling that I had when I was with Prince. He saw something in me. This man hunted me down, called my job looking for me. So that is a big plus. This is on some Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley type shit. I mean, it's obvious to us as music lovers, but I know that you've been all around the world. You mess with some of the biggest acts that come through the Bay Area from all the different genres. You the biggest DJ in that area that's black. What did you see in Prince as an artist that we may not see as a fan? What did you like about his hustle as a businessman? And what did you like about his musicianship? Well, first of all, I grew up on Prince. 1984, I was in high school. So I knew Prince. I used to, I used to sing his song, Do Me Baby. You know what I'm saying? My mother would get mad at me. Say, you stop singing that nasty shit, you know? I grew up on him. And for me to be part of, Prince was a real musician. Michael Jackson was a musician, okay? No disrespect to him. Prince was a legend. Prince had so much stuff I'm just finding out about now, toying with him for the two and a half, three months that I was with him. It was like, wow. He would tell me, he says, he changed. So, you know, all his old stuff, I play all his old stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking head, uptown, controversy, all this stuff. He he didn't want to hear none of that because he changed Jehovah's Witness. So his, his mission was a whole different 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 type of vibe. But I would play the classic jams that I knew that Prince played. As a musician, for someone to handpick me and someone that I admired as a, as a kid in high school, that's big. The man was very nice small, but a giant. I still sit to this day, as we're talking in January 2017, that he's still alive. I refuse to accept the fact that he's dead. I was there. He called me. When when Prince died, I had TMZ calling my phone. How do you get my phone number? Channel 5 was calling me. Channel 4. I've had people calling me, but first of all, when you're dealing with Prince, you sign a confidentiality form. You do not discuss anything with him. He was a very private person. I can discuss my experience with him, but I could tell you details. And it was such an honor. And I know he tested me. 
he tested me to see. I stayed in the finest hotels, got picked up in the finest cars, in the finest restaurants. But the difference between me and other people, I didn't need him to go out. I went out and bought my own food. I go out and do my own thing. I stayed in the finest hotels, $300 champagne bottles, $500 whiskey bottles. I didn't touch none of that. I don't need that. Let me go to the store and go grab me a bag of gummy bears, $20 potato chips. So I understand I was put to the test, and I passed that test. And he saw something in me that people saw, but he saw something deeper. And that's what the difference between me and Prince. Our relationship was so musically, we were we were married to music. He cared about his music like he cared about my DJing. When I'm DJing, don't bother me. I take it very serious. I'm not one of those DJs who play stuff and want to talk and laugh and giggle and, and, and shoot the shit with people. I take it very seriously because my my next song, is, I'm very serious about what I'm going to put on next. And Prince was the same thing. He touched me. He hugged me. I felt like a queen. And when I went to Paisley Park, he called me and he said, Pam, I need you here. I said, Prince, I can't be there on Friday. I said, I, he says, I need you immediately. I said, I can be there the next day. To tell Prince, no, who does that? Who really does that? But right. at the same time, I'm a professional businesswoman. You can't make me do anything. I, I take every job that I have very serious. If I'm doing a, if I'm doing a catering or DJing job, I don't care if you're Prince, Michael Jackson, Miss Yellow, President Obama, I'm not going to turn that person down because of who you are. I, I'm taking this job very seriously. I said, what I can do for you is I can come the next day. I came the next day. He was like, thank you for being here. I was at Paisley Park. And when I was at Paisley Park, it was amazing. He said, Pam, meet me here at 4 o'clock for sound check. Prince was nowhere around. He was upstairs watching me the whole time. So I went to, you know, I, I was fascinated to, to go to Paisley Park because that's a big deal. So I, I went to certain certain areas of the room. I didn't, I didn't go outside my boundaries. You see what I'm saying? That was another test to see if I was one of those kind, oh, let me just walk up in this room. No, I stayed in my boundaries because, first of all, I was raised that way. Second of all, I'm not going to outstep my boundaries that are not allowed to me. So I stayed a certain place. And then after all this was done, I heard that Prince was upstairs watching me the whole time. So I passed that test, and we had bigger and better things to do. And unfortunately, he passed. I was there that Sunday. He died that Thursday. He told me, Pam, I will see you in two weeks. We were scheduled to do something else. But Prince didn't make it. He was fine that night. It was a great evening. People adored his music. I had no idea how Paisley Park really was a, a platform for the public. Prince threw parties for there. He had cookies. He had a personal chef that had cookies and soft drinks. He didn't drink no alcohol. And it was such a pleasure to be the last person to actually shake that man's hand and give me a hug and say, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. How big is that? That's huge. That's huge. So, I mean, tell us, tell us what was the last party like? I mean, describe the last party for all the huge Prince fans and music fans. Oh, my God. It was amazing. People were standing there looking at me. They were just, they were just, 
I felt kind of awkward because they were looking at me. I've never seen anything like that where the fans, you know, people people dance, but these certain people were just standing there looking at me because at Paisley Park, the DJ booth is on a stage, but he has couches and pillows on both sides of the DJ booth, so you're able to sit and watch. So I felt awkward, but I did me. I did me. How many people would and you it, say was at the party? I came in. <laughs> That party was so huge that he had to bring it to the next room when he unveiled his purple and gold guitar, his purple piano. That's when he launched his purple piano and his purple and gold guitar that was specially made for him. The place, I've never been there. I mean, I felt like Secret Service because I got drove up in a car. People were, people were lined up out. I mean, cars were lined up all outside the Paisley Park to get in the parking lot. It felt like the president was there. You understand what I'm saying? And when I got out of the car, obviously he was flashing lights. I'm like, wow, oh, my God. What? I mean, it, the, it's a feeling that you can never, ever explain. You just have to be in that moment. But I tell you one thing, I have been so proud to be part of that whole Prince generation because I grew up with Prince Michael Jackson. And I saw Missy Elliott was my key, my ticket to be successful. Besides my talent, but to have Prince call your job looking for you, handpicked you, you can't get no better than that. When you got men crying, can't get no better than that. (laughs) You got men crying. I mean, Michael Jackson died, everybody cried. But when you got (laughs) men crying over Prince, Prince was so much, I, I, I mean, I love Michael Jackson, but Prince was bigger than Michael Jackson. I had no idea of the stuff that he had, the music that he had, till I got his whole library. His whole library. When I tell you whose library, I'm talking live, uncut shows, remixes, things that people don't even hear at this point. But I got something coming up for his birthday next year. So just be on the lookout for that. The mighty, legendary Pam the Funkstress, the last DJ of Prince. You know her from KBLX. You know her from the party scene. You know her from the cool. Pam, thank you for being with us. I know that you cater. Tell us where your restaurant is so when people come through the bay, they know where Piccadilly's yeah. is. Where is it at? You know, I'm a chef, but, I'm, I'm, you know, I say cooking and scratching. My, I'm a chef at Piccadilly. Uh, it's at 1159 Chest Drive, Suite A in Foster City, California. We're open Tuesday through Friday from 11 to 3, close on the weekends. I am a chef by trade, so if you want some good mac and cheese, jambalaya, fried chicken, fried catfish, holler at your girl. Yams, greens, I'm the one. That's why I'm so healthy right now. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> <laughs> JR, I've known you for a long time. Yes, I appreciate you. You have been a you have been a very real person from day one since I met you. You haven't been no fake, no phony, and I I, I respect you. Thank you, Pam. And life if you life. guys don't know who Jr. is, I know he he's doing his thing. But for me, as Pam the Functress, Jr. has been a real stable in my life. He's been a fan, he's been a friend, and he has never been phony. So Jr. is a real deal. 
I appreciate that, Pam. You know, you're one of the dopest DJs, bar none, not in the female category, but bar none, period. You know, over both genders. Pam the Folkstress, straight out the bay, proud to say that that's my homie, and proud to also say that I know some of the legends that I've looked up to my whole life. I mean, I remember yes. uh, Kill My Landlord. I remember seeing you cut and not know you at the competition and see you cut exactly. and then find out, whoa, that's Pam the Folkstress from the cool. And... You know, I mean, so, Pam, major salute on the skills, major salute on always keeping it real, never being Hollywood, and I appreciate it. Never, that. never. I would never turn my back on my folks because my folks got me here, and I appreciate the love and all you haters. You just keep watching. That's what's up. <laughs> How can people get with you online? They can catch me at Pam Funkstress Twitter, Pam Funkstress Instagram. You catch me on TamlaFunctions.com, um, which is my new website. It's going to launch next week, which is Wednesday of next week. TamlaFunctions.com. My old website is up right now, but I got a lot of things going on. I'm going international, but go ahead and check me on check me out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Pam Functress, P-A-M-T-H-E-F-U-N-K-S-T-R-E-S-S. Pam Functress. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you. Love you. And much success in what you're doing. Likewise and salute. That was another edition of Block Report Radio with the People's Minister of Information, JR. Tune in soon for another episode of that Pan African Anti Capitalist Kill the System Radio. Finger roll through blockreportradio.com when you get a chance. Until next time, we out.